Hi, this is Carrie Han, Newt from Aliens. This is Michael Bean from Aliens. Hey, everyone. It's Jeanette Goldstein, otherwise known as Vasquez from Aliens. And you're listening to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. And uh, I'm uh, listening to Don't Go Out There Podcast. I hope you are, too. Take this advice. Don't go out there. Stay frosty. The episode mostly comes at night. Mostly. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin. And they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Review Podcast. Just want to thank all our fans and listeners. We really appreciate all the support. Before we jump into tonight's film review, I just want to give a quick shout-out to our social medias. We got the big three, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Don't Go Out There, and you'll find Brian's awesome artwork. Give us a follow and uh, interact with us. We really appreciate that. And check out our website, don'tgooutthere.com. You can find all of our interviews, our episodes, film reviews, uh, celebrity shout-outs, our blog, and our store if you want to check out any of our merchandise and apparel. And I uh, just wanted to give a quick shout-out to our new intro. We hope you uh, like that. Um, Brian hooked us up with something new, and uh, it's pretty awesome. I like it. It's, uh, it's refreshing, and I-, I-, I love the voiceover. And we're going into our second entry in sequel month. And boy, howdy, did Brian pick a pick an iconic one. We're going back to 1986 and Aliens, the the return of the great Ellen Ripley. And Brian, if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and go first, knock out my general overview. Uh, I actually hadn't seen either of this movie or the original Alien until this year, a few months ago. And you can ask the guys in the group chat, I really wasn't a big fan, but don't don't hate me yet, Aliens fans, because I know this has a giant following. I really like this movie this time after this rewatch. Uh, really enjoyed it, and I'll get into it later in my rating. Uh, Sigourney Weaver absolutely should be on any Final Girl best list. She was awesome in this movie. And yeah, uh, this movie really surprised me. I really liked it this time. Uh, Brian, do you want to go next? Why you picked it? Um, yeah, sure. <clears throat> Assholes and elbows, fellas. <laughs> um, sh- I, look, I, I briefly mentioned this when we announced this movie, but on every list of the greatest sequels ever made, you will definitely find this movie. Um, personally, I think this is superior to not only the first one, but to every other one in the franchise. And that's not a I don't think that's a hot take. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that share that viewpoint. What is a hot take is that I'm not a big Ridley Scott guy besides Gladiator. So um, that's another reason why I definitely liked this better. Um, This movie won two Oscars, uh, one for best visual effects and one for best sound editing, but was nominated for seven of those things, including a best actress nomination for Sigourney Weaver, who Nico just said, I mean, is just absolutely tremendous in this movie. Um, I love her story arc, her acting in this, and you know just the legendary badass that she's written as, and 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 turns into by the end of the film. Um, you know, in fact, I, I love the entire cast of this movie. Um, I, I've said it before, but but quote unquote team up movies are, are kind of my favorite. Um, 
you know, where there's like a team of people who get picked off one at a time going on, going after something, you know, like Tears of the Sun, Predator, um, Blade 2 is is my favorite Marvel movie. And, and I may pick that down the road. In fact, I almost picked it here for sequel month, but I couldn't resist Aliens. But, um, you know, while, while yes, you don't have to have seen the first movie, um, but like Cameron's other film in Terminator 2, it, it's a standalone. But but you miss out on so much character development, especially with Weaver and Ripley, if, if you don't. Um, it should also be noted uh, that, you know, we did the we did the review on the theatrical cut. Um, I prefer this cut. Um, the other the other's worth the watch, you know, if you love this just to see the extra stuff. But but the pacing is better to me. And, uh, you know, for the most part, what is cut out of the special edition um, or you know director's cut? isn't really necessary to me. And, uh, it extends like that pretty bulky runtime, by I think like 12 minutes or so. So, um, anyway, I, I love this film. So here's the thing with me. I'm not going to let Nico be on an Island here. Um, I too had never fully seen alien or aliens until recently. Of course, I'm familiar with the films like that. They've always, you know, ever since I was knee high to a grasshopper, they've been something that I, I know what the movies are and I get the gist of them. They've been on as background noise. I'd see them if they're on, you know, on TV or something. I'd flip back and forth to them. But I had never truly sat down and watched them all the way through until this past weekend. Um, so there's that. I know I'm going to get crucified for that. Um, but that being said, once I did, boy, was it a daunting task to watch both of these movies back to back. Um, and and I don't necessarily mean that as in it was dreadful or I didn't enjoy it. It's just, it's a lot fam. Like that's some long ass movies. Uh, there's, you know, I had to block off basically five hours to watch these two movies. Um, but they, they were good. And to, to speak to this movie, uh, to piggyback off of what you said, Brian, I agree. This is the best film. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I've seen, um, some of the other I haven't seen the entire franchise. I'm not going to pretend I have. But after rewatching this one, I would venture to guess that it, it would be a uh tall task for one of the other sequels to outdo this one and after what I've read, it didn't happen. So this I feel comfortable saying this is the best film in the franchise. And that's not to take away from the first one. I think the first one is a is a very good film. It's just the intensity was they kicked that shit up, fam. Like you didn't get this like uh, looming sense of doom that you got from the first one as in, oh, boy, it's coming. Oh, boy, it's coming. And this one is just like, no, it's here, motherfucker. Like we're on. It's the intensity is kicked up the entire time they land down on the planet or on the colony there. And uh, I appreciate that. Uh, James Cameron, I do like some, you know, a lot of what Ridley Scott's done, but James Cameron is who James Cam- like you know come on he's one of the one of the gods in the business and in industry and so uh I definitely think it was an improvement and upgrade and that's not a slight at Ridley Scott it's just everything about this f- this film is an improvement over the first film and the first film is a damn good film so that that's what I mean but to say that now that being said I did kind of feel this film to be uh how how can I say this without coming across the wrong way? I did enjoy it a lot. I don't know when I'll rewatch this movie. 
and I do like sci-fi. Like you can throw in one of the, you know, one of the Marvel films. You can throw in one of the Star Wars films. You can throw in, uh, you know, hell, the Terminator film. I do like sci-fi films. Um, the Alien uh, franchise, though, for me, I feel like is one of those that I can appreciate, but it's not going to be one of my favorites. So that being said, I did thoroughly enjoy this film. I do think this is a fantastic film. However, it's, I don't know how often I'll rewatch it, and I'm excited to hear you guys' thoughts on the on the scene by scene, and also give my own. Oh yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I really like this movie too when I watched it, but it's not going to be the one I pick up just to burn some time up or nothing, just because it's it. Right. Yeah, I'm not the biggest sci-fi fan, but I did really like this movie, so I don't want anybody to think that I'm going to shit on this movie or nothing. It, it was great. Um, there was a lot of characters in this movie, so if I say any names wrong, I apologize, but I did my best. Do y'all got any more opening thoughts before we jump into it? No, sir. All right. The film starts with an outer space shot, then into a spaceship where we see Ellen asleep in, I just wrote it's a sleeping pod. Uh, she's asleep in her sleeping pod. Another ship connects to that ship she's on, and they torch their way inside. They find her still alive. Now she's on a hospital bed in the new ship. She awakes to a visitor with her cat, Jonesy. Burke is a businessman with the company, and he introduces himself to Ellen, and he tells her she was asleep in space for 57 years. I wrote it's very shocking news to her. A deep salvage team found her by chance. Now Ellen starts to breathe hard and grab her chest as if she's having a heart attack. Burke calls for a nurse as she panics. She sees a chest burster, but then wakes up from the nightmare. Ellen is in a meeting now for over three and a half hours telling her story to that company. It's a very it's very expensive to blow up the shit that she was on. She gets upset telling them she killed the alien. She tells them that Kane saw thousands of eggs, and if they get to them, it's all over. Company man tells Ellen that LV-426, that there's been people there for over 20 years, 16 families or so. Ellen's in her room, and Burke and Gorman, the uh, Marine leader, she slams the door in their face, but Burke tells them they've lost contact with LV-426. She doesn't want to go back, but Gorman reiterates she will be safe. They just want her to be an advisor. I wrote, Burke low-key clowns her job as a dock worker, but says that he can reinstate her as a flight officer. He tells her about her psych evaluation, how she wakes up drenched in sweat every night. She says she can't go, and they leave her room. She wakes up in a sweat, grabbing her chest and crying. She video calls Burke and asks if they're going to destroy them and not to study them. And he says, yes, that's the plan to destroy them. She agrees to go now. Then <laughs> I wrote, then she calls the cat a shithead for no reason. All right, Brian, that's the intro. What do you think, man? Uh, you know, first of all, and especially for 1986, the visuals in this film, I think, are tremendous. Um, you know, there are some things that don't quite hold up. Yes, but I love the balls that James Cameron had to not go the whole quote unquote dimly lit, you know, hide everything route like Scott did in the first one. Um, you know, Cameron showed you everything and there's just so much to visually see. And that gets started right off the bat, even during the credits. And, and when they find the escape pod to the whole like Ripley's face fading into earth for the scene transition, you're like this movie is, is beautiful to me on like a grand scale, which obviously Cameron takes with him in his movies moving forward, you know, and is known for that. But, um, also really do like how psychologically tortured Ripley is in this one and all of the PTSD, you know, she's still suffering from the first one. Um, 
Cameron was actually writing Rambo 2 during this as well. So he was doing a lot of research on combat veterans and PTSD during this time. And, and it just adds to the depth of the character development and her arc I spoke about uh, earlier. Um, you know, and, and you get to see her experiencing those PTSD uh, symptoms and realizing like the only way to get over those nightmares is to confront them. And all of that happens right here, just in this first little group of scenes. Um, one of the things that's on the special edition, though, is, is Ripley. After she find out, finds out she's you know been sleeping for fifty seven years, she sees a picture of her daughter Amanda, who like actually is a picture of a real life mother. But she she had already like lived her life and passed away. And I, I think that that scene is one of the ones that shouldn't have been cut. To me, I think that adds a lot of depth plus explains like her connection with Newt later in the movie. So I do wish that that scene had stayed. Um, there's also like a very popular video game called Aliens Isolation. And that that actually explores Amanda going to look for her mom during these past 57 years and like encountering the alien species as well. Um, so that kind of fills in some blanks. Um, I love the fake out nightmare because the thing that shocked and stood out from the first movie was that iconic chest burster scene. So, you know, you're thinking, holy shit, this is going to be like Friday the 13th movie where they're going to, you know, kill the heroine like right off the bat. And then Cameron's like, gotcha, bitch. So I, I love I love that whole that whole fake out scene there. Um, I did laugh because the forty two million dollar price tag on that freighter stood out as like definitely period centric uh, for sure, because that thing even now would cost trillions of dollars. Um, but Weaver, Weaver to me is so good in this scene. Um, another special edition addition uh, is, uh, you know, us actually like visiting Hadley's Hope here. And while it, while it's kind of cool, you get to see the, you know, see it all new and not the aftermath that shows us later. It, uh, you know, it does show us Newt's family and her dad getting face huggered and basically what brought it back to the colony. But to me, that's not needed at all. So I'm glad that that was cut. Um, Carrie Hen's real life brother, by the way, played her in that little cut scene, too. And uh, lastly, you know, I also want to say Paul, Paul Reiser as Bert, I, I think is great. Um, you know, there's a little nuance I want to point out that he does, like when he's talking to Weaver and says that, you know, the company has agreed to pick up her contact or contract. And she says, you know, if I go and he doesn't say yes, but it's like it's a the like the acknowledgement that she's right without any words to me is like just an example of the acting quality for the whole majority of this film. And I think he does a great job playing off Weaver and, you know, and hiding that whole reveal for later. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think the opening scene does a good job of, you know, we're going to get the, we're going to get the title card and we're also going to show you how she came to be rescued and how she came to be found. And it does it in a straight to the point kind of, kind of way that doesn't waste a lot of time because God knows this movie's long enough on its own. They could have drugged that out a lot. Um, but so I like that, you know, they found her inst- instantly in the movie and they rescued her and brought her in. Um, to me, though, I don't want to go against what you said because I see your point. But the, the whole fake nightmare chest bursting scene was a little bit unnecessary. And the reason I say that is because when it happens and then you realize that it was a dream. Then for me, at least, I question the whole thing. Wait, so has she really been asleep for 57 years or was that whole thing a dream? And so to me, they could have had her wake up and explain all that to her. And then you can still capture the PTSD, even with the chest bursting uh, nightmare, 
But you could have done it at a different point. Like for there, like let her go about her day. Then maybe that night she wakes up in a cold sweat with a chest burster. I don't know. The timing just kind of threw me off because I'm like, okay, is this whole thing that we've seen so far up to this thing bursting out of her chest? Is this real or is this a nightmare? Um, so I think it's just a timing thing, but I see your point. Uh, and then also with the whole, you've been asleep in a coma basically for 57 years. The one of the biggest knocks I have with this movie is they don't allow her any time to grieve at all. And what I mean by that is regardless of how close she was with the people on that previous mission or in in the first movie, regardless of, you know, anything really, she lost everyone that she was there with. She's the only survivor. And then I like, think about it from yourself. How would you feel if you woke up 57 years from now and you realize, holy shit, everything that I know is irrelevant now. And so that's why I, I actually wrote down the same thing as you, Brian. Like I didn't see the director's cut or the extended version or whatever, but I wish that they would. I saw, I saw the scene that you're talking about with her daughter and the explanation of how her daughter lived her whole life and died. I wish they left that in too. Cause then it would have added to the, uh, relatability that it would have drawn on your emotions. It would have pulled on that empathy factor to where like, damn, she really lost it all, including a daughter. And so it would have really helped with the relatability with Ripley and helped you, uh, want her to succeed even more, but also really amplified that intensity that she, she does a great job portraying it anyway. Like she does a great job portraying that PTSD, uh, that reluctancy. But it just would have added to it. Um, and then why why would they not believe her? That that kind of annoyed me. Like when she's saying, this is what I saw. And he's like, yeah, there's no proof of that. Like if I'm ripping, I'm like, all right, bitch, you, got, you colonized this place. Call someone. Call them up right now. If they didn't see it, then maybe I'm crazy. But that to me, if I find someone that's been in a coma for 57 years, just floating out in space, and they tell me something, I might I might just go out on a limb and believe them. Because it's the likelihood that they survived this whole time is improbable anyway. Um, the last two things that I had written down were, number one, Paul Reiser's just so untrustworthy. Like, anything that he's ever in, does he just not seem like a kind of a sleazy guy? And that's not a knock to him, the person, because I don't know him, obviously. But he does a great job of coming across as that guy that he seems so nice that mm, I just don't trust it. And so... Uh, and that goes from aliens to mad about you to any, you know, anything shout out to Helen hunt. Um, the last thing that I have is, you know, the last thing on the scene when she says, all right, I'll go. She video calls him in the middle of the night. I think that's a good, does a good job too, because you could tell like that decision is weighing on her. She wakes up in the middle of the night and that does a good job of playing on her, the emotions of her, the PTSD factor, the, the general, general concern that she's like, I don't want anyone else to be in danger or at risk the way that I was. I survived that. I don't know who else could. So if you've got these people out there and you've lost contact, we might need to go check this shit out. I don't want to do it, but I don't, you know, if anyone knows it's me. So I I like the way that she portrayed all that emotion and all that uh, intensity in this opening set of scenes. All right, now we get another space shot, and inside we see all the Marines in Ellen's sleeping pods. They all awake, and we meet the Marines. Opone wakes them up with a little Marine motivation. They start to get dressed and exercising to get the juices flowing. They sit down for a meal, and they complain about his taste, 
and then start to joke around. Hudson now asks the bishop to do the knife trick with his hand, which is a very famous scene in the movie. Bishop joins Ripley, and she gets pissed about an android being on board. Burke tells Bishop about the last synthetic person malfunctioning and killing some of her crew. She tells him to just stay away. Opon and Gorman chat with the soldiers now. Gorman tells them about the xenomorph. Ripley tells him the story of LV-426 and the parasite. Vasquez says she only needs to know where they are going, doing a shooting gesture. Just one alien destroyed her whole crew in 24 hours, Ripley says. Gorman gives the orders, and Opon reiterates them. The crew is all working now, and Ellen asks if there is any work she can do. She jumps in the loader to help out. The crew checks their guns out and get dressed. They all load up in the tank, and the bishop drives them aboard a new ship. Pharaoh and Spunkmeyer are the pilots. Ellen asks how many drops this is for Gorman, <laughs> and he's only done two combat ones, including this one. And I wrote, he's not very experienced. He checks all their cameras, and a pwn tells them two minutes and get ready. They exit the tank to the rain and destruction. Hudson runs a bypass, and they enter the building. They creep the halls and see all and then see all the damage. A pwn tells them the damages he sees as Ellen watches the monitors. The Marines are all searching the rooms. Ripley has Hicks check out a hole in the floor, and it's the, it, the damage is from acid from the, from the aliens. Gorman and Ripley now debate on the building being secured. All right, Brian, that's uh, the next two scenes I got wrote down. Not a whole lot, but. I, I love this fucking group of scenes here. Um, I love the establishing shot of the, you know, the whole personalization of the weapons, which there's a few aspects to this. Like Cameron actually brought these Marines all together for weeks beforehand to like train and kind of build up a camaraderie amongst themselves and, you know, purposely left out Weaver. So this group would like already have this believable rapport and, and you know, and Ripley would be an outsider. Um, during that time, like, you know, he had them personalize their own guns and stuff to add, you know, their helmets, just just to add to the believability. But but uh, this was also one of the last scenes shot in the film as well. So so they could like maximize that whole familiarity with a, with the, with one another. Um, Hicks was the other one that wasn't part of this, but that was just because Michael Bain wasn't the original actor hired for this. Um, that was James Remar. And, and he was actually fired for for drugs. But, uh, you know, Cameron had worked with Bain on, you know, in the first Terminator and, you know, he later in the abyss uh too so you know he quickly flew him out got him on board um you know from what i understand i think there's one shot of him left uh like like from the back or something later on but i love bane his portrayal in tombstone as uh as ringo is <laughs> goddamn this is just epic um by the way check your dms trying to get you on the show um <clears throat> but anyway i, I uh I love the intro to the Marines. Hudson, Vasquez, back and forth. Uh, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No, have you? <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, Apone, rest in peace, Al, Al Matthews, you know, getting up and, and going for that cigar right off the bat. Um, he was a real-life Marine. I just I, – I love all of that back and forth, you know, and character building. Um, and you get Bill freaking Paxton, you know, rest in peace. But um, actually, a little tidbit. Most people probably already know, but I love it anyway, so I'm going to say it. But – Bill Paxton is the only actor to ever be killed in a movie by Predator, Terminator, and a Xenomorph. So, spoiler alert for later. But um, during that knife scene with Bishop and Hudson, uh, Lance Hendrickson ac- actually nicked Bill Paxton's fingers a little bit. I mean, obviously they sped it up, you know, in the film. But it, but it, but you know, he apparently got him. So I think that's just like you said, it's just an iconic, great scene. Um, 
you know, I love Hicks being sleep during the drop. <laughs> I also, uh, I love how there's like almost no score at all until they get to the complex and you get this whole like slow buildup with a score, you know, and, and, and in this set of scenes, like in particular, it's, it is, it's very slow, but, but it's tense the whole time. Like a lot of credit to James Horner who put together, I think an amazing score here. Um, but there's so much shit going on to it. Like I fucking love how the Marines file out. The camera follows Vasquez as you've got a pwn calling Hudson to run a bypass and you're just amped because like you feel like some shit's about to go down. Like, you know, like they do. And, and you get this whole, you get, but you get the aftermath uh, right off the bat. Like, you know, some shit really went down here, but it doesn't, doesn't get right into it. Um, again, you know, it's slow here, but, but it's tense. And I feel like it builds attention very well. And, uh, um, lastly, the director's cut, you get a, like a longer tracking shot of the ship and you get a poster with a naked girl on it in the locker. And, um, there's also a big rant by Hudson while they're, uh, waiting to be dropped about the badassness of the whole squad, which Paxton apparently was given free reign to improvise a lot and actually did on this film, which I'll get into a little bit later. Yes. <clears throat> so this set of scenes, you know, I don't know if it was meant when we, uh, you know, she walks into the room where all the Marines are and everything. I don't know if this was meant to make Ripley seem sexy or have some sex appeal, but Bubba, it didn't work. First and foremost, the granny panties with the wife beater look and that awful 80s hair, it just doesn't do it for me. It reminds me of my 1997 fourth grade teacher. Shout out, Miss Watson. It just, uh, you know, that, that took away from this set of scenes to me. Uh, God, I hope she's not listening. Um, <laughs> second of all, you know, Al Matthews, the, the actor that played Apone, he actually, in real life, was the first black Marine to ever be promoted to the rank of sergeant in the field during his service in Vietnam. So I, I really tip of the cap to uh, them for casting him in that role. Uh, and also just shout out to him for that amazing feat. Anytime you're the first anything, it's impressive. But when you're the first person to break down a, a race barrier, shout out to Al Matthews for that. Uh, you, you know, the, the knife trick. Obviously, it's an iconic scene. Um, you know, Bill Paxton, like you said, RIP, huge Bill, Fa Bill Paxton fan here. Um, love everything he's done. But th this scene cracks me up because I noticed on the second time I was watching through, like, obviously, they sped it up, right? There's no way that they could do that and not risk cutting someone's digits off. But right. when they set, when they speed it up and you hear him screaming, like, oh, and they zoom back out, the camera pans out. Watch everyone else. Their heads are moving at insane speeds. So, <laughs> so that's one of the things I wish that they would have worked on. Like, I get it. It's hard probably in 1986 to speed up, a, you know, a portion of what you can see on camera, but not the rest of it. I don't know uh, if they had that technology back then or not. But when the camera pans out, you see the knife going at an insane speed up and down between the fingers uh, of the two actors there. But if you watch Apone specifically right beside him, his head is jerking up and down in a comical speed. That's just one of the things that made me laugh. Um, her and the loader, like when, you know, they're, they're showing these, uh, the loaders uh, loading the boxes or whatever they are. Her getting in it and doing it herself. I'll be honest, that scene didn't do shit for me. And the reason I say that. Is because we already know she's a badass. Is is Ripley going to do anything to where we're like, that surprises me? Oh, I can't believe she could do that. No. Watch the first film. You know, she could do pretty much anything. And so for her to do this to me is only 
to make it make sense at the end of the film. They could have just shown these these things, these suits loading the 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 freight or whatever it is. Could have just shown other people operating them, and it been fine. But they had to make it make sense in the end when she when she takes over one of these suits. To me, that's the only reason they had her getting one now. It's just so when we're watching the the finale of the film, we're like, oh yeah, remember she can do that. I didn't need that. It's just something that to me was like a little bit of filler that was unnecessary. Uh, last thing I have on this set of scenes is the acid hole. So, <laughs> no, I didn't say asshole. I realized after I said it what that <laughs> sounded like. But <laughs> when the hole is visible and you're like, oh, acid blood, this to me is where it makes, like you said, Brian, this set of scenes does kind of lull like it is kind of drawn out a little bit. Um, but from here on, it, it, it makes it okay because you know when you see that hole. What's going to follow? Shit's about to get real in a hurry. It's okay. Like, okay, I, I don't have to worry about the pacing of the film from here on out in my mind because I know once you see that, they can't be far away. All right, Gorman, Ripley, and Burke enter the building now, and Ripley finds these pods with aliens, like, hibernating in them. If, I, if I'm getting any of this technical stuff wrong, this is just how I wrote it down. Sorry, alien super fans. Burke gets jump scared by one as he gets close to take a look. Frost tells Hicks he's got something, and they see motion where none of the Marines are. They approach the movements, and we see someone run past in the hallway. It's a little girl. Her name is Rebecca, but we call her Newt through the whole movie. Rip, uh, they approach the movements, and we see someone run past. It's a little girl named Newt. Ripley comforts her as she you know, backs her into a corner. She bites a Marine and runs off. Uh, Gorman interrogates Newt, but she's not talking. He leaves, and Ripley gives her some hot chocolate and cleans her face off. I wrote, Newt looks really shook up. She finally tells Ripley her name and shows her her doll. Newt tells Ripley all her family is dead and she wants to go. And Ripley tells her they're here to help, but Newt says it won't make a difference. Bishop is examining an alien. Hudson finds activity and they load up in the tank and head towards it. They get to the location and go down the stairs towards it. Hudson can't recognize what's on the walls. I wrote, Gorman is looking hella nervous. The Marines proceed and comment on the oozing from the walls. Opponent says not to touch anything. Ripley asks what the pulsing is on the screens. If they fire their guns, they'll blow up the entire station, killing all the soldiers. Gorman tells Opponent no firing and only flame units. Opponent takes the magazines from everyone, but Vasquez and Drake keep a magazine for themselves. They enter a new room and see the dead bodies along the walls in these cocoons. They continue their sweep and they find a person still alive in the cocoon. She asks to be killed, but an alien bursts out her chest, and they set it on fire. Ripley is shook now, reminiscing on what had happened. We see a giant, I wrote xenomorph, but it could just be a regular alien, I don't know. We see a giant xenomorph descending. Ripley tells Gorman to pull the team out. An alien grabs Dietrich, and she lights Frost on fire, killing him. Chaos ensues now. Vasquez begins firing. An opponent isn't getting signal from Gorman now. Opponent is grabbed by an alien and sucked up into the cocoons. Gorman tells Ripley to shut up as she says, get them out of there. <laughs> and I wrote, Gorman sucks as a leader. Ripley straps Newt up and begins to drive the tank towards the Marines. They begin to load up in the tank, but Drake is killed by the acid blood of an alien after Vasquez shoots it. They close the door, but an alien tries to break in. They shoot it in the mouth of the shotgun, but then acid gets on one of their arms, burning them. Ripley drives off after the door closes. An alien tries to grab Ripley through the windshield, 
but she slams brakes, getting it off the tank, and run, and she runs it over, killing it. Ripley gets out of the building and busts the axle. All right, Brian, that's the next two scenes I got, brother. Stop your grinning and drop your linen. Uh, this is probably my favorite group of scenes. It's probably my favorite group of scenes right here in the whole movie. Um, you know, we get our introduction to Newt, friend of the show, Carrie Hen, who, first of all, thank you for the show intro. Um, a little tidbit, she actually stopped acting after this and is now a school teacher, which is it the best child performance ever? No, but, you know, she also apparently hates the line that comes later in this movie about the mostly coming at night, mostly, because apparently everybody still to this day walks up and says that to her. My bad for asking you to do it for our intro, but it sounds awesome. Appreciate you doing it. Um, I like the uh, the whole instant connection, you know, with Newt and Ripley because, you know, they both lost their families, as I stated before, which is why I wish that one scene had stayed in the movie with, you know, Ripley looking at that whole picture of Amanda. Um, Newt bites uh, Hicks on the hand, which you may not know is kind of a trope with Bane and Cameron as, as he's been he's been bitten on the hand in every movie that he's done with Cameron, Terminator, Abyss and this movie. So I thought that was interesting. Um, also, Gorman is such a fucking idiot or else an ape. Apone is I don't know because Vasquez leads this team here, but is supposedly disarmed. You know when they help collect everyone's firing locks. I mean, obviously we see like you know she's got her own and she gives one to Drake, but in their own firing lock. But you know as far as they know, she's disarmed. So why is she leading the team? Which that never made sense anymore to me at all. Plus Gorman's dumbass never tells them why they can't fire. So. Um, but, you know, just just incredible visuals. Again, Cameron in his bag here, you know, just just showing you everything, you know. And after that chest burster, you get, you know, aliens bursting out of the walls that you thought were part of the walls. You know, the, the production design with the resin on those walls looks tremendous. Um, I think it's just genius on Cameron's part. Uh, you get guns firing, monitor points, POVs, you know, all, all the crazy shit, the quick cuts. That whole horror movie score, basically, you know, in an hour of character development in and boom, we lose almost all of our Marines right here. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is just one of my favorite action sequences in any movie. I mean, everything from what are we supposed to use? Harsh language. I mean, to that whole like close encounters line. I just think this whole thing's badass. Um, lastly, I just love how Ripley's like, fuck you, Gorman. And, you know, he takes that, it's actually called APC or armored personnel carrier, um, in that, that, that score is badass, but I will say, and I'll admit, like I, I picked up a little, what sounded like reused audio from Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, like, and that, that came out a few years earlier than this. And, uh, I went and checked who the composer was on both of that films. And, and it was, it was James Horner. So like I later found out on that trivia page that yes, he did in fact use that, but I, I just wanted to everyone to know that I'm nerdy enough that I have seen Wrath of Khan so many times that I recognize that shit immediately. <laughs> you know, that's hilarious that you that you just admitted that because I was about to ask, how big of a nerd are you? <laughs> no. Yes, dude. Yeah. It was no, bad. it's all love. I love that that you uh you picked up on that. That's awesome. Um so yeah, with this set of scenes, I, I agree with you. Newt's introduction to us, how we come to meet her, was great. And I do have questions about how long she's been living like this because, girl, clean your damn bedroom. But, um, you know, the, this is where the daughter storyline would have been money. Why would you cut something that would make this set of scenes better? 
Like it literally would have improved every set of scenes throughout the rest of the movie. Because if you watch the theatrical version and you know that Ripley lost a daughter, blah, 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 then it makes it make so much more sense that she would, you know, just have this instant connection with Newt and she would want to mother her, you know, aside from the fact that she's a, you know, the, the natural thing, like you're, you're an adult and you find a kid who's abandoned being chased by aliens. Okay. I guess anyone would want to protect them, but it would just make it even much more, uh, you know, the, they've drawn the empathy so much more. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Not, ex- exactly. not having them explain why they can't fire was they dropped the ball there. Um, the only thing that it did for me was show that these are some good ass Marines because they're following command. They ask no questions. Why can't we fire? Never mind. They said we can't fire, so we're just going to go out like some hoes. But it's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I would want to know why, if, especially when the shit starts happening, because I don't right. have a, I don't have a lot of notes on this scene or this set of scenes, other than to say that these are insanely good action scenes. This is where the reason I don't have much notes or many notes is because I'm like glued to the screen. I'm sucked into the action and it's all awesome. Uh, And so you you start losing people left and right. Uh, It's just pure chaos on the screen. And it's so well done, especially for the time for this movie to have came out in 1986. The effects in this movie are great to me. Um, You know, the, the mother later in the film, Obviously, looking back now, like uh, it might could be actually, I mean, it definitely could be done better in 2020. But listen, what I'm asking, <laughs> this is 2020, 1986. This is fantastic. And so right. the, the acid deaths, the effects on those and the acid hitting the skin, very well done. And so once you get to this, I take myself out of the fact that I'm a movie watcher. I put myself in the film. If I'm watching this shit happening, no, fuck that. You didn't tell me why I'm not firing my gun. I'm letting this shit ring off. I'm emptying the clip. But whatever. It it didn't take away from anything because no one questioned. No one dropped the ball like that. Um, Very good set of scenes. I don't know that it's my favorite set of scenes, Brian, like you said, it's yours. uh, But it's definitely up there just because of how much it sucked me in and how, uh, how tuned in I was. They find Gorman hurt with a possible concussion. They find Dietrich and Apone still alive, but Ripley says they're being cocooned and they can't go back. Ripley says to take off and nuke the entire side from orbit, and now Burke brings up the dollar value of the place and not to make emotional decisions. The Marines aren't on Burke's side, though. Ripley says Hicks has authority here due to chain of command. Hicks is on board with Ripley. Just nuke it from space. Spunkmeyer finds more of the resin in the ship as Pharaoh calls for him. An alien enters the cockpit now and kills Pharaoh as she flies towards the other Marines to pick them up. Newt says, I guess we're not leaving now after the ship crashes and Hudson is panicking. Newt says they mostly come at night and they need to get to shelter. Back inside, Hicks goes over the inventory of the weapons they have. Hicks says it'll be 17 days before any rescue comes and Hudson panics, but Ripley says Newt survived longer with no training. Hudson is calmed by Ripley and put to work. Bishop is watching over Gorman in the med lab. Ripley, Hicks, and Hudson look over the blueprints of the building. They begin to weld off entrances. Hicks gives Ripley a watch or a bracelet. I don't know what it is. Hicks gives Ripley a watch so she knows her location. Ripley puts Newt in a bed so she can take a nap. 
Ripley gives Newt the watch and says she'll be in the next room and she won't leave her. I cross my heart, hope to die, she says as they hug. Ripley and Bishop discuss what the aliens are doing. She asks Bishop what's laying the eggs and he says they haven't seen it. He tells Ripley that Bert gave her clear instruction not to destroy the specimens. She confronts Bert and brings up money and he brings up money again. Bert was responsible for all 157 deaths on LV-426 and Ripley pins him to the wall and says he won't sleaze his way out of this one. Bishop says in four hours the emergency venting will blow. Ripley says they gotta get the other dropship and Hudson panics again. Bishop says he'll go repair the transmitter manually. They cut open a hole in the conduit and he says they'll be cutting it close time-wise and then Vasquez wells it back shut as he begins his crawl. All right, Brian, go ahead, brother. Yeah, Bill Paxton, look, this is his scene. And it's so it's so iconic, you know, just maybe you haven't been keeping up with current events. We've got our asses kicked, pal. You know, and his whole, like, game over, man, game over. And that, you know, express lane to hell line, they actually weren't in the script, apparently, and Paxton ad-libbed those. And the, uh, the whole game over, man, that sticks in my head so much because there was an alien game for Super Nintendo or PlayStation. Um, I don't remember which one it was, but I used to play with my buddy at his house when we were small. And every time you died, you got game over, man, game over, which got super annoying. So because when now every time I hear that, hear that line, that's what I think about. But uh, um, now now that rescue craft with uh, with Pharaoh and Spunkmeyer crashing doesn't look that great. You know, as you can clearly see, you know, it's a screen in the background, you know, kind of reminds me a lot of, you know, Universal Studios ride now, actually. But you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, like, like Dustin said, you know, we're talking about something almost 40 years ago. So, you know, and, and it still holds up pretty damn good. I mean, uh, you know, this is where Weaver and, uh, and Ripley really start becoming the badass that we know and love to me. Um, you know, when she's telling Hudson, she's tired of his bullshit and relax and ordering everybody around. I love that part here. And, uh, um, this set of scenes also is where I think Lance Hendrickson and, as Bishop, you know, it really gets time to shine and, and you get to really see the whole relationship and that distrust of, of Ripley, you know, from from Ash, um, the android in the first one kind of like start to kind of fall away as, you know, they, they interact more here. And, uh, you know, fun fact, Lance Hendrickson actually was was just about to retire from acting at this point before he got this gig, you know, and now should now he's been in so many of the alien movies. It's almost as syn- synonymous with with the franchise as as Weaver is. But, uh, you know, the way that it that's shot with him and the tubes barely moving, that whole get that gives me a uh, claustrophobia every time, which which really is a testament to how that uh, that little scene shot. And uh, you know, lastly, in the uh, director's cut, the special edition, there's there's another long scene here where they, they find some like robot sentry guns. And they like they put them in the hallway and they're remote control. And like a few minutes later, the alarms start going off and those things go through like 600 rounds in like a few seconds, just blasting aliens away. But it doesn't really show you anything for the most part. And again, I think that's another example of a good, good cut, in my opinion. Yeah. So, again, I don't have a ton of notes on this set of scenes either, uh, mainly because. I'll be honest with you. I, I was I was sucked into this film with the last set of scenes, and I'm still just like watching this, and I forget when I'm watching. I watched it twice, but I forget when I'm watching it both times. Like, oh yeah, I should really be writing down some of the nuances here. But I I don't have a lot. I don't have critiques. I don't have uh, much of anything to say other than things I like. Uh, I agree with you. This set of scenes was Bill Paxton's time to shine. 
Uh, he he delivered some very iconic lines here. And to piggyback off what you said, it wasn't just these few lines that he improvised. Uh, apparently, most the majority of his dialogue in this film was complete improvis- improvisation by him, which shows uh, you know the brilliance that is that was Bill Paxton. I I'm a big Bill Paxton fan, so I gotta give him his flowers here. Same. Um, Same. And then. You know, uh, I remember watching this and I was like, oh, cool. She got an Apple Watch. Um, but and then the next thing, <laughs> I agree with, uh, with you, Nico. Like, I, I would have liked to have seen those watches be more prevalent in the rest of maybe earlier in the film so that when she gives it to her and then she regifts it, you know, that's that's impolite etiquette there. But she regifts that to to Newt. Uh, <laughs> I would have liked to have felt more of a connection there. Like, oh, this is really some shit. I, I care about this watch, but I, you know it's kind of just like a passing moment there. Um, and but the the biggest standout from this set of scenes to me was the way they played off of Ripley's distrust of androids because of how Ash tried to you know basically make her eat a Reader's Digest magazine. Um, and then <laughs> so so the way that they tried to or the way that they did play off of that, and they just slowly chipped away. Bishop told her, you know, when they're eating in the mess hall earlier in the film that uh, he's designed not to harm humans. He, he couldn't if he wanted to. Um, and then he just slowly chips away, slowly chips away. And this set of scenes really amplifies that. And they do a great job. And he does a fantastic job of acting like a uh, like a humanized C-3PO here. It, it was a it was a great set of scenes from to play off the camaraderie between those two. Yeah, and I love when he when he's getting in those tubes, and you know, the, him and and Vasquez and Ripley are kind of having this conversation, and it's not not even nobody says a word about it or mm-hmm. anything, but Vasquez hands him a gun, and you know, he just looks at it and gives it to Ripley, and it's just like like fuck that, I'm not using that. I mean, it's just, yep. but no words are said. Yeah, you're right. It's it's great. Or right, Hicks says to stay alert and ask and ask when's the last time Ellen got some sleep. He gives her a gun and it has a grenade launcher. And he shows her how to use it. And it kind of looks like they're a little uh, fond of each other. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but they look like they uh, might have a crush on each other. Gorman is up and Ripley doesn't want to hear anything from Burke. She goes back to the room Newt sleeping in and finds her not in bed, but she's asleep underneath it. Ripley lays beside her and comforts her. Bishop is working on the transmitter now and we see the dropship move. Ellen wakes up and sees movement in the room. She moves the bed and an alien jumps towards her face. She can't get the door open, and they can't be heard through the glass. She tries to get attention on the camera, but Bert kills the camera feed like a, <laughs> I wrote like a POS piece of shit. Neat say, Newt says, break the glass, but it's too strong. She tells Ripley she's scared, and Ripley tells her she's scared too. She gets her lighter out and triggers the fire alarm. Hicks runs towards the med lab. Ripley and the alien fight again. It gets on top of her and wraps around her neck. Hicks breaks the breaks through the glass and they shoot the alien attacking Newt. Then they free Ripley and kill that alien with some more gunshots. Ellen says it was Burke. She says he figured they could get one back if they were impregnated through quarantine. She tells the Marines of Burke's plans. He denies it, saying it's delusion and pathetic. They go to kill Burke, but the aliens cut the power. They begin to hunt after the aliens. Hudson says they're inside the perimeter. Ripley orders he and Vasquez back after he says there's movement everywhere. Vasquez cuts the door down. They wait on the alien's arrival. 
Hicks looks through the ceiling and all the aliens are above them. They crash through and they open fire on the aliens. Burke shuts off a door from, a- from Ellen and Newt. Hudson is going ham on them until he gets pulled under the he gets pulled underneath them by an alien. Hicks cuts the door open for them to get through, and Burt runs off and is met by a giant alien disappointingly killed off screen. If that's a spoiler for what my least favorite kill is later. They all begin to crawl through the tunnels to escape to the landing as Newt guides them. It's actually the air vents, but I wrote tunnels, my bad. Vasquez fights them off from behind. Bishop tells Hicks. 16-minute ETA for the ship. An alien falls on Vasquez, but she kills it with a pistol, but the acid blood gets on her leg and it cripples her some. Gorman goes back to help her. Gorman and Vasquez sacrifice himself with a grenade, killing some of the aliens. And the next two scenes are the ending. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, Dustin touched on this a little bit earlier with uh, with, the, with the whole power loader thing, but um, I, I've always kind of noticed that they've done, they did that here too, where, you know, Hicks is showing Ripley the pulse gun, you know, and how it works and, and not only gives them that whole weird flirty relationship thing, which they go into in some deleted scenes a little bit more, but, um, you know, it doesn't throw in your face, but it also serves as like explanation on how Ripley knows how to handle all of this equipment, you know, after being asleep for 57 years and, and, you know, when she goes badass in this whole next group of scenes. And, and I always kind of appreciated that. So it's it's something the writers, I think, said, okay, well, now you can't say, come on, how did she know how to even use those guns? Because, you know, now it's explained. You know, it's a small thing, but I, I actually appreciated that part here too. Um, the scene where uh, Newton Ripley are in the med bay and that whole hugger is released on them. Like, I think the soundtrack there is great. Um, you get that horror movie high pitched like subtleness where you know Ripley notices that the hugger is loose and then bam, here come those violins and I, I think it's great. Like the tension is awesome. Then like as soon as they kill it, the music stops. And you know, and during that interrogation where they call out Bert, Paul Reitzer is so good here. It's like he acts just like anybody you catch in a lie. Sweating plays that shit so well, I think, and realistic. Um also, that fucking scene in that with that fight and operations, like with them counting down like 10 meters, five meters, that's in the room. And then like Ripley just looks up. I, I mean, that's so good. Uh, I love how it's done in the dark, you know, and as soon as Hicks looks in that ceiling, there's a goddamn squadron of aliens crawling across the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's an incredible shot. And when one of those I think it's one of the first times, if I'm not mistaken, where we actually see an entire crew of aliens on the screen at one time and not just like one with like quick, quick cuts. Um, I love that Bert gets his comeuppance, but like you spoiler alert, that's my least favorite kill because I wanted to see him pay the price, Um, which there was a deleted scene later. I believe I read about, I don't know if it was in the script or if it was never filmed, but it was where Ripley like finds him later in a cocoon when he's, when I think when she's going to go rescue Newt, and uh, she like ends his suffering by you know just throwing a uh, basically a grenade in there. But but since that ne- never made it in, I'm I'm you know pretty disappointed with that being off screen. Um, you know we we also lose Vasquez and Gorman, but I like how Gorman kind of gets a redemption. You know, and Vasquez using her boot to pin that alien, I think is so badass. Um, you know, and, and last we get that recycled Rathacon soundtrack here again. But to me, I think that shit works incredibly in this group of scenes for sure. 
Yeah, so on this set of scenes, you know, I, I wrote down, the first thing I wrote down was the, the sexual tension between Gorman and Vasquez is kind of evident, but it's not. Like, it goes back to the first, you know, when we're introduced to the Marines, that set of scenes, there's kind of some playfulness between them. And then we fast forward here. I would have liked to have seen them play on that more. Like, maybe imply even strong, more strongly that, yeah, they got something going on. Because then it, all it would have done is help sell the emotions of when Gorman dies. Uh, you, you really see the pain in Vasquez's face when, when, it, when she witnesses it. So I would just like to see that amplified or uh, exploited a little bit more. Uh, well, I think the back, I think the backstory actually with Vasquez, it's actually Vasquez and Drake that uh, oh, yeah. were, yeah, they, they were apparently like grew up in, in some like, you know, Mexican slum or some, somewhere that, that they were really close and had this like this bond, which they didn't really get in too much into the film. But maybe that's why they didn't do that, because the backstory already kind of has her with Drake with that. Gotcha. As far as that's concerned. OK, well, OK, that I was wrong, but it also furthers my point. There's too many goddamn characters that I don't know enough about. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the the next thing I wrote down, I thought it was hilarious. We had kind of uh, which scream is it? When Gail's inside the the studio and she's screaming, but Dewey can't hear her on the outside. Like the this two two yes, this yeah. glass reminds me of the same shit because I think it's hilarious. She's banging on the window, she's throwing chairs into the windows, she's doing everything short of shooting the windows, and they just she can't get out. And then all of a sudden he can just jump straight through it, no problem. Like, come on, man. Uh, <laughs> that that was kind of silly to me. Well, uh, they did. They did. Sh- he did shoot it. I think ahead of time. Maybe that listened it up some. <laughs> I don't care. Come on, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but I I do agree with you. Though. The score through this set of scenes. Well, the score through the movie uh, all together was great. But this set of scenes, you really it really hit home. Uh, how they uh, they would amplify the volume of the music when it needed to be, and they would cut it out the intense point. Like the score was perfect here. And I told y'all, Paul Reiser's an untrustworthy person. Like this is the scenes where you, he gets his comeuppance, or he, you know, you figure he fig, he gets figured out like a fake televangelist. Aha, you figure me out. Um, <laughs> he's just a dirty skis skis bucket, and I don't mean that personally because I'm sure he's a nice guy, but God, he's so unlikable. Um, and then I thought it was hilarious though that the aliens turn into Jason Voorhees from the 09 remake. Like all of a sudden, they know how to be, you know, they know how to cut the power. Like they're just some electricians now. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> what are we really doing here? But that's okay. Uh, and then the last thing that I put on this set of scenes was Vasquez and Gorman's death was just so intense because what a selfless act. Uh, they didn't have, you know, obviously they knew they were going to die, but they could have just went out. But instead, they're going to get blown to pieces by this grenade and they're going to do it so that they can take out as many as possible and save as many people as, as they can. That's with their crew or, you know, save the remainder of them. Um, I think that that was, that was a very good job by camera to capture the, uh, the selfless nature of the Marines here uh, and, and the camaraderie. Like we love y'all too much to let y'all go too. We're going to take as many of these bastards as we can out the door with us. All right. To no one's surprise. These are my, um, the next two scenes are my favorite, except, uh, one nitpick I have at the very end, but I, I love this part where it c- becomes all about Ellen. Newt falls in the rotate. I wrote it's just like a rotating wheel, but Ellen loses her as she falls down this little tunnel. They keep track of her with the location bracelet. 
She fell into what looks like a sewer. She calls for Ripley. They find her below and they have to cut uh, through to get to her. They see someone approaching very rapidly on the like the location machine. An alien is behind Newt, and all they find is her doll head. Ellen and Hicks run off, saying he believes she's still alive. Hicks kills an alien trying to enter the elevator, but its acid covers his armor, but Ellen gets it off in time before he gets too, too hurt. They get to the bishop. He says leaving in 26 minutes, but Ripley says that they're not leaving yet. She tapes guns together and grabs grenades. Hicks says the ship isn't leaving. She only has 15 minutes to save Newt. She takes the elevator down to find Newt. She wanders the halls in pursuit. She finds Newt. She finds Newt's watch or location bracelet on the floor underneath the cocoon. Newt is in a cocoon and she sees an alien being birthed and screams. Ellen runs towards her, killing the aliens pursuing her. She gets Newt free and carries her out. The building begins to explode. Ripley is in a room now full of alien eggs. She turns around and sees the mother alien laying the eggs. She and Newt cautiously back out the room, then starts lighting all the eggs on fire and killing the aliens crawling towards her. She carries Newt as they run off, in the alarm telling them to evacuate only four minutes to achieve safe distance. She starts to climb the ladder as the elevator takes too long, then sees the xenomorph. They jump in another, another elevator and ascend up as the floors beneath them explode. The alien takes the other elevator. She curses at the bishop when the ship's not there. She holds Newt and sees the alien come out of the elevator and the ship appears behind them. Newt and Ellen climb aboard. Bishop takes off through fire and smoke. They get away as we see a giant explosion. Bishop tells them that they're okay. Ellen and Newt share a sweet moment together. We, we see Hicks bandaged up, and Bishop tells Ripley why the ship was gone. And then acid burns the ground, and the alien stabs Bishop from behind, ripping him in half. Newt runs and hides under the ground, and Ripley behinds the, behind a door sealing it off. The alien pulls the floor up now after Newt. The door opens and Ellen is in the loader, ready to combat. Get away from her, you bitch, she says. She grabs it by the throat and the alien tries to spear her in the face with its tail. And then after some more fighting, she opens like this hole that goes into like this little cavern that will launch them into space. She grabs it, throw it in the hole, but the alien grabs her loader as well. She gets out the loader, climbs the ladder, but the alien grabs her shoe. She opens the window into space and we see the bishop and Newt holding on for dear life. The alien loses grip and goes into space. And this is the part that I just think is ridiculous. <laughs> Ellen channels the strength to climb against space force suction and manages to close off the door, <laughs> saving her, Bishop, and Newt's life. Bishop says, not bad for a human. She loads Bishop and Hicks into the portals, and then she puts Newt in a bed, and she asks if she can dream while she sleeps all the way home. And the film ends, ends with a close-up of Newt and Ellen sleeping. And before you go, Brian, I just want to say, really love the ending. I just, I do think it's ridiculous. She climbed against Space Force suction. But go ahead, brother. What do you think about the ending? Well, you're talking about Ellen Ripley. Now, come on. I mean, she, she, hey. space, space is nothing. Hey. Space is, hey. bruh. All, all hey. that hairspray she had in her hair ain't no way she was getting sucked out in space. <laughs> hey, Ellen Ripley's a badass, but she ain't crawling against Space Force suction, brother. But what do you think about the ending? I really liked it. Yeah, that that's just to start out with that whole shot of Newt in the water, and then that alien popping up behind her. Well, I just that, that's just another incredible visual. Um, 
know, and, and the director's cut actually plays a little bit more on what you were talking about with the Ripley Hicks relationship. And there's a scene here where she's going to leave and, and, you know, go to back to rescue Newt. And she says, be seeing you Hicks. And he says, Dwayne. And, you know, she says Ellen and they share like this little moment, but with everything and the pacing, I think that's another good thing that they cut out. Um, you know, this is the end. And by God, like you said, Weaver just had an incredible performance, but this is where she finally gets her time to like really shine as a badass. And, you know, after being just, I fucked with just glorious visuals for the past two hours, you know, Cameron, Cameron just says, here's my dick motherfuckers. And he gives us the alien damn queen in this thing, like just this incredible shot where, you know, it's such an, like an intense sequence, like where it shows you every detail and, you know, they get away and then this movie could end here and it still just be one of the best ever. But is that it? Hell no. Now we get Ripley mano a mano with the alien fucking queen and this power loader fucking boxing extravaganza or whatever. And, and, you know, get away from her, you bitch. Like what more can you want here? It's just fucking incredible to me. Um, yeah. Also Henriksen's famous line of like, not bad for a human is actually the name of Lance Henriksen's autobiography. So go read that if you want. Um, but in closing, you know, I'll, I'll say that this is this is probably a hot take, but it's my opinion, so whatever. But but aside from the first Alien versus Predator, which Henriksen is back in that, by the way, as Bishop, but the the rest of this franchise is not good. Um, you know, and 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 a few years back. In 2016, Neil Bloomkamp, who did uh, District 9, had uh, put together a treatment and some incredible artwork and, you know, and even talked about uh, talked to Sigourney Weaver about returning and Michael Bain. And they were going to go back and like, you know, kind of pretend did uh, do a Halloween 2016 and pretend the others didn't happen and and do a direct follow up to this. And uh, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And really, Scott said, nope. And decided, you know, to do those Prometheus prequels, which I'm not a big fan of. So, you know what? Fuck you, Ridley Scott, for that. But <laughs> it, it, if you haven't seen some of that concept artwork that Bloom Camp put together for that sequel that never got made, go check that out. Because, like, I, you know, even in, like, an Aliens 30th anniversary panel at Comic-Con uh, San Diego, like, James Cameron praised this, this as saying, like, the script was amazing and it was everything the fans wanted. But, of course, we get Ridley Scott doing dog shit Alien Covenant, which I think killed the franchise, in my opinion. But, you know, again, what it is what it is. It just, it just sucks. But uh, as far as this movie goes, obviously, love the ending. Hmm. That seemed like a pretty passionate bow that you just put on your, your scene by scene there, Brian. I think it's safe to say you love this movie. Hey, I love it. I don't know if you know this, but I love this movie. <laughs> um, you, you know, first of all, this set of scenes, you know that when Newt's down in the water, that something bad's probably going to happen. Like, does anything ever good from a kid being in water when she's waiting on someone to rescue her or something? No, come on. It, it, like in Anaconda, when they're in the when they have to get in the water and they're waiting to get out, you know that some shit's about to go down. It's just that same kind of feel, but it's still delivered because the scene delivers you know a very iconic image uh from the movie um fun fact the 15 minute timer was actually 15 minutes a lot of times in movies you know when they say we've got 10 minutes 
uh, that 10 minutes, they stretch into about 34 minutes or they condense it into about, you know, two, two and a half minutes. Uh, this one was actually 15 minutes. And I think that's really cool. They actually kept it the same. I read in the director's cut, uh, 15 minutes each time. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, Agreed. the, the star, the, the star of this final scenes is the camaraderie and relationship between Newt Ripley and Bishop. I mean, this is the main story here. This is just seeing how much Ripley wants to save them, how selfless, uh, Bishop is, how, Bishop has overcome that barrier that Ripley tr- uh, put up about not trusting androids, how Newt is just really relying on a stranger and a robot to save him, uh, to save her, and how much that the three of them seem to love each other. And, I mean, they don't really have a choice. It's either we stick together or we're all fucked here. But just this, the the story here is their camaraderie and the way they stick together and how each of them brings something well, not necessarily Newt so much, but uh, you know she's the baby. It's okay. Uh, but Ripley and Bishop really bring something uh, to to the plate here to get them out of this predicament. Um, the the loader scene. This is when you, when I'm watching. I'm like, aha! I knew there was going to be a point to her getting in that <laughs> uh, <laughs> that loader uh, suit earlier. And so again, it was unnecessary because if we if she hadn't have done that earlier in the film. Yes, she jumps in one right now and beats the fuck out of the queen. I'm still going to believe it because it's Ellen Ripley. Like, come on. You think that she can't do something? Um, look at that hair. And then uh, <laughs> I agree with you, Nico, though. It, it is kind of ridiculous that this thing can suck out the queen who's used to living in space. Uh, granted, it's, this planet has an atmosphere and it's not sucked out into the actual space or not living in the actual space at that time. Uh, but it just sucks her through and, and the and the loader suit and all that. But she's able to hold on and not only hold on, but still find a way to close the door. Like, come on. That's that that is unbelievable. Climbed but overall against it. climbed against it. Climbed against it. Yeah. Yeah. Um that, that's Ripley, a, man. Ellen fucking Ripley. Let's go. <laughs> that, that's okay. Uh but overall, this is a, a nice, neat bow to put on the movie. It's satisfying. The ending is satisfying. Uh, I like to feel good to where they all three make it out. Um, and sometimes movies can either fall short of the feel good or overdo the feel good. I don't feel like they did this, you know, either way. This was a perfect feel good. Um, if one of these three characters don't make it, I'm a little bummed out by that. If one more character makes it, I'm a little bummed out by that. So these are the three that we care about. These are three. I'm glad they made it off. And this this ending is uh, it's very satisfactory for the movie uh, that the the damn near nineteen hour marathon that we just watched. I'm kidding. It, it was a long movie, but it doesn't feel like it's that long. I don't think because the action is at a very good pace. Um, not, nice, neat ending. I, I was I was happy with the ending. Y'all got any more final thoughts before we jump into a couple of fan questions? No, I think I said plenty. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sean Irwin asked, do you like this style of sequel or would you have preferred a more stricter horror by a different director? And I'm going to combine that question with a uh, friend of the show, Nick Mathis. Would you classify it as an actual horror movie or an action movie? I definitely think it's not a horror movie in the vein that the first one is. Uh, Brian, do you want to take on those two questions first, man? Or you want me to take it on? 
uh, I mean, I don't mind. I, I think that they're both. I think they're both horror subgenres. I think the first one is like a horror uh, or like a science fiction horror uh, thriller type movie almost. And and this one's obviously more horror action, um, you know, and, and it's less horror in this one than it is action, um, you know, for sure. But uh, I, I'm, I obviously don't wish they would have taken another route because, I, I mean, how much I love this movie. I, I don't want to have seen them. I don't I don't care for the first one as much as this one. So I, obviously that's that's my answer for that one. Dustin. Yeah, I don't want to you know, I'd like to give a different perspective or point of view on this question. But I, I agree with Brian. Um, I do think that the first one was more. Uh, it had more of a, a typical horror feel to it, as in you feel like something's around the corner. Um, it's going to get them. It, you know, it, it's more of a suspenseful horror movie, whereas this one is more of an action sci-fi film. So I agree with the way you phrased it there. And I also agree with the fact that I'm glad they went this route um, because I enjoy this movie more than I did the, the previous one. But I think the question said, just movies in general. Do I like when movies in general take this direction? Is that right? Do you like this style of sequel or would you have preferred a more strict horror by a different director? Okay. So when I hear, do you like this style? I'm thinking brought more of a grand scheme of things. Typically I like for movies to be consistent. Um, And whether you're consistently good or consistently shit, just stick to what you are. This one, they did themselves a great service by switching the direction because you've got back-to-back movies that are both very damn good films, but they're uniquely different. And I like them for different reasons. So in this instance, it worked. Yeah. And usually like, I'm going to use the diehard movies as an example, you know, they up the stakes in every one of the movies. And to me, it gets more and more crazy as that goes Uh, along. Like, you know, so, so, I mean, it's like, all right, the the buildings in in jeopardy, and the second one it's it's the airport, and the and the third one it's the country, and then the fourth one it's almost like the earth, you know, is is in jeopardy. So it's like I'm just waiting for them to get to space, and to me I don't like that at all. But they did up the ante here, and to me once or twice is fine. It's just it gets crazier and crazier. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, and to piggyback off that, the the first thing that came to my mind when I was thinking of do I like when sequels change direction or style, Fast and Furious franchise came to my mind. So Fast it's the same Furious. concept of what you're talking about with Die Hard. Start out they're yeah. just, you know, they're street racers that rob some transfer trucks like that. That's believable. Next thing you know, they're jumping buildings over helicopters. And I did read that there's plans for one of these movies one of those movies to go to space in the next few years. Shit. So that, yeah, I, they're super spies that know karate, you know, shit yeah. Right. <laughs> you look up in the dictionary, the phrase doing too much, you'll see the fast and furious franchise. So I don't like that. I like that this one changed it up, but it's still good shit. And I'll, I'll just echo basically what a lot of y'all are saying. Uh, Sean. Yes. I did like this style of sequel for this particular franchise because uh, like my two fellow co-hosts said, I think aliens is a better movie. Uh, significantly better honestly i thought the first one was just a little too slow and uh nick i would consider this a horror movie but i would also consider it a horror action movie uh i think we and i'm not just calling nick out personally but i think we need to open our uh how how do you say it correctly brian we need to open our horizon maybe on what horror is it's not just 
one certain yeah, thing. Be more open. Yeah, know, it's horror is a lot of different stuff, man. Uh, I mean, it's just not just slashers and haunted houses that are horror movies. Uh, so yes, I would consider it horror and action, but it's definitely not horror in the same way that Alien was. I will agree I, with you on that. I'm glad you said that about horror movies, Nico. Because just wait till I make y'all watch a musical called Sweeney Todd: The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Just you wait. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> That's, I, well, and and just to speak on that, I mean, being horror is just you know having having things. It's so subjective. Like yeah, what scares somebody is the, not what scares somebody else is not what scares somebody else. So we got to quit saying shit's not horror. Not, I mean, I'm not saying anything about him in particular, but just, you know, just on social media period or just, Oh, that's not a horror movie, blah, blah, whatever. Well, you know what, to this person, it might be, I mean that, you know, alien it, it has, Jaws may scare people and did back in the seventies. And we'll get into that when we talk about it, but you know, it's, but it, it doesn't me, but that doesn't mean it's, I don't respect the fact that it's a horror movie. So yeah, we got to quit that for sure. I agree. All right. And the last question we have is from super fan, Michelle Mirza. In my opinion, this is an example where the sequel is as good, if not better than the original. What do you guys think? And can you think of any other sequels as good as this one? Uh, Brian, do you want to take that one on first? No, I mean, I, I kind of already said, I said, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, less sequels that are as good as or better than the first one. I mean, that's really subjective. Godfather obviously comes. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's Godfather comes to, comes to mind. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the dark night nerding out empire strikes back, star Trek two, uh, Terminator two, uh, is, you know, is, is overwhelmingly, I think better than the first one. So, um, just some things that pop in my head right off the bat. Rush Hour 2 is better than for. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh. <laughs> I mean, you can make the case for Rush Hour 2. Uh, I, I really enjoy both of those two movies. The third one is not as good, but it's also good. Anyway, I'm sidetracked here. Um, <laughs> I yeah, think the I Saw franchise has a lot of movies better than the first one. I could agree What's with that. that but I, I think can, the Saw kinda... franchise has a lot of better ones than the first one. <clears throat> Yeah, I could agree with that, but I, I hold the the first saw in such high regard just because of the nostalgia and the precedent that it set for oh, the rest no, of the I'm franchise. With you on that. I, I'm with I, you I get on that. you, but as far as but, an entertaining watch, yeah, yeah, and I'll, I'll say the Dark Knight uh, was better than Batman Begins, even though Batman Begins was a fine film. Um, Brian said a lot of the ones that I had in mind. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like Young Guns too, better than Young Guns, but they're both good movies. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but as far as this movie, yeah, I definitely think that this movie was better than the first. And it's not a knock on the first at all or an indictment on that film. It's just this one. Totally, uh, totally different. Yeah, they are. Just, I mean, you can like apples and oranges. It's OK. Exactly. Hot take back to the future, too, is better than the first one. Hot take there. Man. I disagree I agree. with that vehemently. I agree. I really like the first one, but the second one lost me. But um, let's jump into our fun facts. And Brian, he gave us a warning earlier this week when you go into the IMDb trivia. Good night. There's a ton of them. So it was hard just to pick the ones you like. Um, Y'all want to go first? Because I got quite a few and I got the budget since Mike's not here tonight. I got just a few. Yeah, I only, I only have five um, uh, because Dustin took one of them. But uh, um, let's see. The Alien Nest was uh, – I picked this one because I love uh, Batman so much. But – um, it, the alien nest was kept intact after filming, and uh, it was later used as access chemical set for uh, Batman 1989. 
So uh, <clears throat> when the Batman crew actually first entered the set, they found most of the alien nest. It was still there and intact. So that was pretty cool. Um, when they uh, when they landed and deployed in the uh, troop carrier, Apon tells uh, the Marines they have 10 seconds until they arrive. If you count from here until the uh, first Marine jumps out of the carrier and his boots hit the ground, it really is 10 seconds. Um, uh, there's three different types of smoke that were used in the film, uh, one of which has been actually become illegal to be used on movie sets. Um, the word fuck is used 25 times in the film, 18 of them spoken by Hudson. And Hudson also says the word man a total of 35 times. And the lastly, I thought was cool that <clears throat> the four actors from this movie appear in uh, various Terminator movies. Michael Bean, Lance Henriksen, and Bill Paxton are in the first Terminator. And Jeanette Goldstein Vasquez is uh, in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Okay. I got just a few. Uh, also, one of the eggs from this film is actually on display in the Smithsonian. That's one of the facts I saw. Now, I will question that one, though, because I go to Washington, D.C. Uh, usually about two to three times a year, and I go to the Smithsonian a lot. I've never seen it. So now that I know that, I'm going to have to definitely look for it. Now, I do know that they kind of cycle things in and out of the Smithsonian as to what's on display and what's in storage and you know what they bring back out. So at the time that this fact was written and put into the universe, one of the eggs was on display. Uh, the alien screams from the film are actually altered baboon shrieks that were uh, altered in post-production. So I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, Ash from Alien, the original, was referred to as a Cyberdyne Systems 120-A-2, which was a nod to the Cyberdyne Systems 101 Terminator from Terminator 1984, James Cameron's previous movie. That's pretty cool. Uh, I, too, wrote down the the one about Hudson saying fuck 25 or 18 of the 25 <laughs> times. I wrote that down because Bill Paxton is a man after my own heart. He, I said earlier, he improvised most of the lines. If you put me in a movie and you're like, yeah, just you got kind of free reign with the with the uh, with the, the dialogue. We're getting that hard R rating pretty quickly, buddy. Um, <laughs> so I shout out to Bill Paxton again. This film was voted the 42nd greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly. They described it as uh, the greatest pure action movie ever. I think that's pretty cool. Now, obviously, they've probably done this, that list again. I don't know where it stands currently, but at the time, 42nd greatest film. And then the last thing that I put down was uh, it said that director James Cameron named uh, Frost or gave Frost the name Frost as he thought it would be ironic given that he was set on fire with a flamethrower. So I, I like that James Cameron kind of having a little tongue in cheek fun with the uh, with the movie that he's making. That's cool. Yeah, I picked that up. I was like, it's kind of ironic the Frost guy gets uh, lit on fire, but I like that. Are um, all of mine are from IMDb as well? Uh, like most films, the movie wasn't shot in sequence, but for added realism, James Cameron filmed the scene where we first meet the Colonial Marines. One of the earliest scenes last. This was so that the camaraderie of the Marines was realistic because the actors had spent months together filming. Lance Henriksen had, had privately pledged to quit acting if this part didn't work out for him after years of journeyman roles. It proved to be one of his most successful films. Sigourney Weaver had several notes for James Cameron after having read the script. Although he could not grant all her requests, Cameron praised her for never taking issue with the direction he wanted to take with the story. Her notes were all about how she felt Ripley should respond to her situations, which he was happy to accommodate. Sigourney Weaver's Best Actress Academy Award nomination for this movie 
was the first ever for an actress in a role in an action movie. Uh, the full I thought this was kind of cool. The full-size queen puppet was actually too big to fit in the elevator. For the shot where she is seen there, her tail was removed, and yet the back of the elevator still had to be opened to accommodate the prop. Smoke effects, dark lighting, and a black curtain at the at the back obscure this. All right, this one's kind of long, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Sigourney Weaver had initially been very hesitant to reprise her role as Ripley. She had rejected numerous offers from Fox Studios to do any sequels, fearing that her character would be poorly written and a subpar sequel could hurt the legacy of Alien. However, she was so impressed by the high quality of James Cameron's script, specifically the strong focus on Ripley, the mother-daughter bond between her character and Newt, and the incredible precision with which Cameron wrote her character that she had finally agreed to do the film. She was, of course, disappointed when Cameron had to shorten the movie and cut the scene where Burt brings Ripley the news of just missing the death of her character's daughter, which Weaver felt would have completed the circle of the mother-daughter bond with Newt. But this scene was later restored in the special edition. And the last one I have is the budget in the box office. The budget was estimated $18.5 million. Opening weekend, a little over $10 million. Gross domestic was a little over $85 million. And the worldwide worldwide gross was $131 million. So it did really well. It did. And just uh, just for fun. I was curious what that budget would look like in 2020 dollars. So I calculated and we're looking at uh, upwards of 45 to 46 million dollars in 2020. So they definitely invested in this film and it paid oh, off. I, absolutely. But I feel like maybe in 2020, they probably put CGI and have stuff that looks stupid. So uh, you never know. Yeah. I mean, some some directors are committed to doing practical effects, which look way better. All right, let's jump into our favorite part of the of the show favorite kill least favorite kill in the rating brought to you by manscape just go to their website manscape.com use our code don't go for 20 percent off and free shipping which is a uh, pretty pretty good timing for the holidays go ahead and get your man something to trim that bush up uh <laughs> brian do you want to kick us off with mike's rating real quick mike mike is at disney world living his best life that's why you haven't heard that luscious voice tonight everybody Taking, taking all money, the, showing all that manscape money down in uh, Disney World. I like it. Oh, mileage, Mike. money, Mike. Mileage, Mike. Money, manscape, mileage, Mike. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, uh, I'll read what he got. Um, <clears throat> Aliens is a super movie to its uh, predecessor, Alien. The uh, uh, I guess he meant superior. So, Aliens is a superior movie to uh, to its predecessor, Alien. The uh, the effects still hold up over time, in my opinion, and. Uh, that bumps it up for me a significant amount. The plot isn't my favorite, but it gets us back to one of the best final girls of all time, doing what she does best, kicking the asses of all the aliens, everyone else in her way. I'll say it for Mike. He didn't write it down. Call me sometime, Sigourney Weaver. Call Mike sometime. Um, <laughs> also, uh, what was it? Seventh grade teacher, don't call Dustin. Um, fourth, fourth Sigourney grade. Weaver. Miss what? Fourth grade, my bad. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver is uh, fantastic in this film and the supporting cast elevates it to the Oscar worthy status it received. Uh, James Cameron shows some of his best directing skills uh, and the cinematography is some of the best. Uh, Sci-fi is not my thing, but this movie is the exception. A sequel that's better than the original and the horror film. No matter. It's a horror film, no matter what anyone else says. Um, 8.5 is my rating long, 
but rewatchable as hell. Uh, his favorite kill is Mark Drake, Elite Fucking Kill, all caps. And uh, <clears throat> least favorite kill is <clears throat> mine as well, Carter, fuck ass Burke, who deserved to die a much more miserable death. Fuck him. <laughs> yep. All right, I'll go next. My favorite kill, uh, I agree with Mike. I picked Drake. It was kind of hard for me to pick my favorite kill, honestly, because they're all pretty much off screen. And I didn't want to pick the same one Dead Meat James picked with the little chest burster. And I wanted to pick, you know, one of our main characters. I picked Drake. The acid kill looks super painful, and we actually saw some of it. Uh, my least favorite kill, I'm I'm kind of thinking it's probably unanimous. I picked Burt, and I re- that fucker needed what Bishop got at the end. I wanted to see him get mutilated. You know, like at the end of the Friday 09 reboot when Trent gets what he gets, that's what that's what yeah. Burke should have got. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess me and Mike had the same rating. I gave it an 8.5 as well. Uh, I'm going to knock out my few cons I wrote. Too long, obviously. I feel like, I, f- I kind of feel like Brian right now talking about The Shining. I feel like you could trim 20 minutes or so off by shortening like the long hallway shots and, you know, other parts of the movie. And the only other con that I could think of was you know, just I didn't like Ellen climbing against Space Force suction. I mean, I wrote Sigourney is a badass, no doubt, but come on with an exclamation point. Pros, I really enjoyed this after a second watch. The cinematography was great, and you know, the settings looked awesome. I really liked the added action and more upbeat pace. I really liked the group of Marines and their camaraderie. Hudson and Hicks brought a nice yin and yang to each other. Of course, Ellen Ripley is incredible. If I could go back and change my top final girl guy rankings, I definitely have her on that list. Her relationship with Newt, I absolutely loved. Uh, that really is what made the movie to me, honestly. Uh, really, really enjoy this movie and definitely understand the love and lore of this film. And lastly, big shout out to Mark, Ra- I think Ralston, uh, Private Drake in this film, also famously known as Detective Erickson in the Saw franchise, which everyone who listens to this show knows that I truly love. And Brian sent him an email. Maybe we can get him on the show and talk about Aliens and Saw. Go ahead, Dustin. There you go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so for me, um, I really like this film. I, like I said earlier, it does a good job of uh, playing off of the first film, but also improving upon the groundwork that they laid. Um, this movie is a – one thing that I do appreciate about sequels is when you can watch it as a standalone. I like when you, you can take a – a franchise and you can watch it all together and you can see how the puzzle pieces fit together. But I also like when you can take just one movie out of the franchise, watch it and appreciate it for what it is as a standalone. This one captures that. Um, I agree with what you said, Nico about the, uh, the space force, uh, the, the superhuman strength where she said, fuck this shit. I'm not going out into space. Um, I appreciate the practical effects that they did. Um, the casting was really good. Uh, this movie transcends sci-fi. It transcends horror. It, you know, it, let's say you've got someone that's strictly a sci-fi fan. They can watch this movie. You got someone strictly a horror fan. They can watch this movie. Someone that's a thriller fan, someone that's a drama fan. This movie has, uh, you know, several elements of different genres and it does a good job of blending them together and, and making a nice little, nice little movie gumbo, if you will. So uh, as far as the kills, my favorite kill, if we're counting aliens, which we didn't, we knew, you know, are you counting them or not? I really like the effects of when Ripley ran over the alien's head in the uh, the AP, the you know the the vehicle. 
there because of the effects that you got. She ran over there and just squashed it like a June bug. Guts go flying or brains go flying. I thought that was cool. But if we're not counting. That, that's count what my that, other pick would have been. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it just looked awesome. It did. Um, but if we're not counting that, then I'm going to go with Vasquez and Gorman's just because of the emotional, uh, you know, kick in the groin that it gave us with the selflessness of shit. Shit's going bad real quick. They recognize that uh, they can at least give their comrades one last parting gift. We're going to take some of these sons of bitches with us. I like that death. Uh, Lee's favorite, obviously, it's unanimous. Burke, we deserve to see that fucker suffer and die. Um, as far as my rating, I went 8.25. It's, it's, it's too long, but it's a damn good movie. So 8.25. Okay. Hey, Brian, can um, I just say one thing for you, Go? I just want to agree with you, Dustin, about uh, being a standalone and not needing to see the first one. Because honestly, the first time I watched the both of them, the first one kind of bur- drug the second one down to me a little bit just because it was such a long watch. Mm-hmm. I agree with Dustin 100%. This movie is a standalone. You don't really need to see the first one. And I honestly think if you just watch this one by itself, it's even better. Honestly, instead of watching them back to back, that's just my opinion, though, because I'm not the biggest sci fi guy. But the second one is awesome and badass. Brother Brian, give us your rating for your movie. Sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I actually, I man, I ran it so much about oh, what 15 minutes ago whenever we were talking about that last set of scenes. I'm not going to waste everybody's time and uh, and go back into it again. Just go listen to my Trey Roland uh, uh, thoughts back. <laughs> that was that's, I reminded myself of Trey Roland when I was going through there. Um, but my my favorite kill, and damn it, Nico, did you really tell me? Did you really say that Dead Meat James had the uh, chest burster, the colonist uh, uh, chest burster, as the as his as his favorite kill? Because I really that's disappointing as hell. Because I really thought I was doing something original by picking that shit. Well, he picked that but, uh, one because a lot of the kills, you know, are kind of off screen or super fast, so you don't see them. So yeah, he did pick the chest burster. Well, damn it! Uh, like I said, I thought I was doing something but it original, is cool, but yeah, it is I picked, cool though. I picked the colonist who the found cocoon at the beginning and has the whole chest burster, and and like I said, my least favorite kill already. Um, off the Burt uh, was Burt. Um, I was, you know, I had a rating in my mind. But you know, I got so amped up here. I'm 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 gonna give this movie I'm gonna give this movie a ten. Uh, and and let's go because I'm I'm pumping up. You can't see me right now, but I'm pumping up the crowd. So I just uh, I'm gonna give this movie a ten. Um, I, it's it's enjoyable as hell to me, and that's just how I rate the movies. I mean, I, I know that uh, it has some of its problems, but um, going back and looking at some of the other movies I've rated, even the nine point five. To me, I enjoy watching this one better. So, shit, you know what? I'm giving it a 10. Let's go. Let your nuts hang, man. I appreciate that. Let's uh, go. Ain't nothing wrong with it, brother. No, nah, that, that puts the, uh, you know, after the, the 10, that puts our composite rating at an 8.8125. Uh, you know, I can't I can't argue with that. I can't argue What's with that. What's the IMDb I'm rating for this? Right now, brother. What'd you say ours was? 8.8125. I think they have an 8. IMDb is 8.3, so we're slightly above IMDb. It's okay. Okay, let's go. That's okay. But our, I, our, I can't... our opinions mean more. That fact. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's a bunch of trolls on there. Uh, but can't even spell IMDb. Let's go. <laughs> pat out, pat. Uh, I can totally understand you giving it a ten, Brian. I mean, this honestly, this movie. The more I thought about it after I watched it the other day. Like I just kept giving it a higher rating because I was like, 
I really like that. I enjoyed it. I really liked it a lot better than I thought I would. So, uh, yeah, I don't blame you at all. And I, my only complaints were the length and Ellen Ripley being too much of a badass. So I really didn't have much bad to say about it. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. It's kind of blasphemous. We waited till episode, what, 94, 93 <laughs> to pick Alien or Aliens. But, hey, we got to it eventually. There we go. Anybody, any more final thoughts before we announce Mike's pick for next week? Uh, the only other thing that I've got is that, you know, this is kind of a timely episode because, and, and this may date us for somebody who goes back and watches this, but, or listens to this podcast episode, but they uh, actually FX just, just announced um, that they're doing a, uh, or well, Disney announced it because they own it, but it's going on FX, but uh, a new uh, alien TV series, which, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not exactly looking forward to, to be honest with you, but I know a lot of alien fans probably are. Um, I really just want to see that Neil Bloomkamp sequel to this movie and plus Ridley Scott's involved in this TV show. So man, I'm just less interested, but I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'll give it, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot. But, but, uh, but th- I just wanted to put that out there. They did announce that lately, uh, recently. Oh, they're rebooting there making a show out of everything now. Uh, next week is brother Mike's pick and we're going back to a franchise that, that brother Mike and Brian both dearly love. We're going to be reviewing Scream 4. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be an exciting one to review. Um, I know it's the Scream franchise is really loved, and there's a Scream 5 coming out soon, so I'm sure we'll get into Scream 5 talk a little bit too at the end of that review. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun watch. Y'all got any thoughts? Uh, any more? Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, some more Deputy Dewey for you, Dustin. You goddamn right. <laughs> I wonder what his David Arquette connection will be for next week. Oh, just kidding. Uh, we appreciate oh, just, all. Quite simply, that he's the best actor to ever grace God's green earth. Take us home, Nico. And there's and there's other actors in the movie, so there's the connection. <laughs> hey, we really appreciate all the support. Uh, everyone who interacts with us, listens, follows us on social media, we really appreciate it. And uh, y'all stay safe out there. Y'all have a good one. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. I've been crouching clean frozen for 57 years. An alien wiped out my crew. I'm crying frozen tears. We've lost contact with Colony on LV-426. Call up the Marines because those colonists be dead. Those colonists be dead. The aliens killed them. Call up the marines because those colonists be dead We bumping on a dropship going on a bug hunt These day could be our last so I am going to roll a blunt We found a little girl, she's really sharp from all the fright It's gonna get dark soon, they mostly come at night I got movement, there's movement all up on my motion tracker They coming out of the wall and I'm getting Aliens. Can't hold the barricade that the colonists name getting rushed by a mob of aliens.
Alien. Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> Alien.